What's up, guys? Welcome back. Welcome in. We got a very special episode of a crossover episode of the Ethos Lakers podcast tonight because we got our main man, Steven. And yes, I said we, me and JC, Ethan and JC, our main man, Steven, host of the Bird Rides podcast. Steven, without further ado, why don't you introduce yourself? Thank you guys for having me. My name is Stephen Bagel. I am the host of Sports Ethos' newest front office podcast, the Bird Rights Podcast, giving insight on front office, salary cap, giving insight. This is especially busy time of the year with the trade deadline going on. So I'm making my rounds and, you know, excited to talk about Lakers, excited to talk about trades they could make and... That's stuff that you guys can look forward to this episode. Steven, I think, you know, you, you are the man that so many of our listeners and frankly, even, you know, JC and I want to talk to because, you know, you're always, 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 you're going to always hear the Lakers and trade rumors. I don't care what the salary cap situation, I don't care what the team structure is, nothing like that, because they're a team that everybody likes to use for leverage, a big market team, right? So JC and I have been sitting here and we've been talking about, well, you know, I guess that potentially they could be connected to Jeremy Grant if this broke this way or if that broke this way. I kind of sat here in my last episode and said, yeah, right. I mean, every team in the league is interested in this guy. And the Lakers just, they don't have anything. They've traded away all of their assets. They traded all of the, of, the, of what you could call assets in the Russell Westbrook deal. So, Stephen, uh, maybe you could pump some optimism. Maybe you're with me on the pessimistic side, but I'm curious to hear your takes sort of right off the bat here. Okay, so... I actually have in front of me in my notes, the Lakers are basically strapped a little bit for three reasons. And I say a little bit because there are some ways you can maneuver out of it. So they gave the Pelicans, you know, all those picks, all those swaps in the Anthony Davis trade. Right now, it looks like the Lakers could only either trade one first round pick, either 2027 or 2028, because of the fact that the Pelicans have their 2025 first, but that pick could be deferred to 2026. In a scenario where the Lakers do want to trade two picks to get, you know, a Jeremy Grant or a Miles Turner, somebody where they had to give a multiple picks since they are so far out in the future, they could conceivably convince the Pelicans, hey, let's take the protections off this pick, we'll give it to you 2025 unprotected, as long as we can move it in 2026 to this team. So that's something that Lakers fans need to remember. I was watching um, ESPN the other day, and they're like, oh, the Lakers could only trade one pick. They could only trade one due to the Stepien rule. You can't trade back-to-back years. But there is a scenario where the Lakers could actually get that second first-round pick to be opened up and, you know, move Jeremy or move that pick for a guy like Jeremy Grant. I mean, it's just, it's, it's to me, and JC, this is, this is where you come in. I, I, just, don't, mm-hmm. I just don't get it, man. I mean, Jeremy Grant or anyone else, Miles Turner, there is no single player the Lakers are trading spare parts for to suddenly fix this team. Yeah, like we've talked about earlier, like this year, or I know last year the Lakers kind of balked at any trade that was going to be involving THT, but this season, like if there's going to be a trade at all, it's going to be THT and then other parts, whether those parts be a draft pick, uh, manipulation of the draft picks to get an earlier draft pick. Like I know a few weeks ago or last week, they were sort of in the running for Cam Reddish, which would have been a great pick. And Atlanta wanted a first round pick, which it sounds like the Lakers have, but they ended up getting a much better deal from the Knicks. Just like pretty much any other team will be able to get a better deal from anyone else. Right. I mean, that's, that's basically on the last time that I sat here and I talked to, you know, our listeners, our faithful crew, I, that's basically where I was at. I said, look, 
the Lakers can offer Taylor Horton Tucker. And, and here's the thing with THT, right? And, and more broadly, this is sort of the issue when it comes to Lakers role players or young guys in development. Their role changes with such fluidity around LeBron. Anthony Davis is due back soon, now with Russell Westbrook in the mix. Their role changes with such fluidity because of the desire for this team to compete. And so the developmental curve doesn't necessarily follow a linear arc. And as a result of that, what you have are young guys who find themselves in uncertain situations. I actually thought that THT, despite the loss to the Pacers, which is a whole nother conversation to be had, okay, despite the most recent loss to the Pacers, I actually thought that THT played one of his better games in terms of actually how he played because he was slowed down. He was very under control. He looked like the player the Lakers hope that he becomes by signing him to this extension and essentially choosing him over Alex Caruso. Now, Stephen, you have a good understanding of sort of TH, you know, trade values across the league. I know that Lakers fans sit here and say, well, THT can be this, can be this, can be this. The reality is, is he's not this and he's not that right now. And maybe I'm just really down on the whole trade front when it comes to this team, but I just don't foresee THC in a first-round pick being good enough to make a deal worth making. It depends, honestly, on the category of player you're looking at. If you're looking at a Miles Turner or a Jeremy Grant, then yes, I don't think it's going to be enough. Unless one of those teams are high on THT. A guy like him, it's really hard to gauge his value because he's already in his third year, but he's only 20 years old. Because he's not a perfect fit next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So a team is really going to have to sell themselves on, okay, he's going to fit significantly better than us, and the role we'll give him than what the role the Lakers have. So Yeah, I, or, sorry to cut you off, but I was going to say, ironically enough, I do think it's Kyle Kuzma that sort of gives the Lakers the most leverage this year because I think a lot of teams can see Kyle Kuzma's development and how he's almost kind of turned himself into an all-star in Washington, that that might be what teams can see that they can get in, t- in Taylor Horton Tucker. Well, I think that's – always going to be the case in terms of when you're trading for one of the Lakers or any team that's built around a big three, right, that has these younger players who look like they could be good, right? Like I'd love to see Nick Claxton from Brooklyn on a different team where he might have a little bit of a larger offensive role, right? All of these types of guys who sort of take a backseat to the to the big three or the big two or whatever it is, and they can flourish in bigger opportunities elsewhere. But the conversation so readily becomes, well, Team X, or in this case, the Lakers, should have held on to this player a little longer because look what he's become. This was my big sort of pet peeve, and and what I'm saying is when teams hold on to their players and keep the same construct around them, in the Lakers' case, Kyle Kuzma would have never become this version of Kyle Kuzma on this Lakers team. Julius Randle would have never become this version of Julius Randle on this Lakers team. So I believe that because of how the Lakers are currently constructed, there is a path for Taylor Horton Tucker to carve out real and very important value to this team right now, but especially going forward. Do the Lakers have the patience? Can they literally afford to have the patience, right, by sort of bringing him along rather than using him as a trade chip for somebody who has proven themselves? And I think that's the larger question when you think about uh, LeBron James's window to contend for an NBA title. And, you know, Anthony Davis's window to contend for an NBA title. Now, the best acquisition this Lakers team can make, make no mistake about it, is getting a healthy healthy Anthony Davis back in the lineup. But I just, it's very hard for me to sit here and say, well, you know what? This Lakers team, flaws and all, 
effort issues and all, rebounding issues and all, shooting issues and all, chemistry issues and all, that all of a sudden Jeremy Grant or Miles Turner is going to be the thing that really catalyzes the team and brings them all together. I, I feel, I hate to say this, but I really feel strongly that right now this is just one of those constructs that, well, we think it might be able to work on paper and we know it's imperfect, but we're going to try it. And it just hasn't worked. And it's not anyone's fault, but it just hasn't worked. And I don't know that jamming in another variable, no matter the talent, is going to make that any better. Yeah. Did, did you have a little bit more on uh, THC, Stephen? Um, no. I mean, what I do have to say is that if we keep talking about THC as a guy who's going to be moved, it's most likely Kendrick Nunn would be moved with him. Um, I've always thought that. I've always, yeah. yeah. Basically, you said that for a long time. Basically, it's just, it's just just when you break the numbers down to salary match for a guy like Jeremy Grant or Miles Turner, or there's a few other names I have on the system I'm not going to give away yet. Basically, because the Lakers are a tax team, they could trade, they could give that salary of none in THT and match that by 125% plus 100,000. So that comes out to 18.2%. A guy like Miles Turner, I think, is in the 17-5 range. Um, Jeremy Grant's, I think, at 20, so he probably had to throw in one of the minimum guys like uh, DeAndre Jordan or Avery Bradley just to make the numbers work. But, yeah, if they really want to get one of these guys, it's going to be THT. It's going to be none. It's most likely going to be either that 2027 or 2028 pick. And, honestly, they they that might not be a good enough offer for one of these guys when – you have teams like Golden State, who has, I don't know how their willingness to throw in a Wiseman or Kaminga or Moody on addition to all those picks, but teams like that, or Charlotte, I'm sure, could use a Miles Turner. They could give a P.J. Washington in a first. Those Lakers, in my opinion at least, are going to be able to beat the Lakers. I, I could not agree with you more, em- emphatically as a matter of fact, in terms of all of these other teams that have the ability to beat the Lakers in terms of their offer. Look, Lakers fans, like a lot of fans, but especially Lakers fans, right? Because we, and I, and I use the word we, right? I sit here and root for this team. We have this unbelievable addiction to extremism. And why we have that is because we've become conditioned to win because of this franchise's success year over year, decade over decade. And what we're not used to is being uncertain about the path forward, especially when we feel like we have something that's supposed to be certain. As Lakers fans, with LeBron on this team and Anthony Davis on this team, I don't care what else is involved. We're going to contend for a title every single year, right? That's the mindset of every Lakers fan going into every season with those two guys on the roster. So when we think we have something certain and then it becomes uncertain, that is when it freaks us out. And that is a lesson for a much, much, much larger perspective that life has to present. So as Steven sort of alluded to here, the trade deadline, the trade market is going to be very active. Guys are going to be changing hands from team to team. And if you want to keep up with all the action, you have to take a moment to follow at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter, the single most dominant fantasy basketball news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than the competition and provides more analysis too. Again, that's at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter. Click that follow button now. JC, if the Lakers are going to make a trade, do you have a preference in which direction they go? Because I certainly do, but I'm curious to hear your take. 
as far as uh, another big man or another point guard? or right, In terms of position, in terms of potentially even player that they've been linked to, if there's some guy who are like, yes, I really feel strongly the Lakers should acquire this guy. But I was thinking more generally in terms of position or sort of roster fit. Yeah, I mean, a, a wing would be, you know, whether it be a, either a smaller guard that's a good defender or a taller player who you could maybe kind of put in a small forward spot in a, in a big lineup or something like that. So, so yeah, I mean, aside from like Jeremy Grant has been mentioned, uh, I mean, other players around the league, like maybe an Eric Gordon out of Houston or like if somehow if Buddy Heald is attainable, you know, back from Sacramento and that deal that, that went sour because of Russell Westbrook, um, some, a player like that. Steven? Based on what you have observed from around the league and sort of your knowledge of where teams are, both from a salary perspective as well as general direction of what they might be thinking of doing, do you get the sense that the Lakers are hotter after one sort of player or position than another? I think what JC said, I think they're going to go after a wing. I mean, you're envisioning an NBA championship caliber team. You see Golden State playing small ball a lot of the time with Draymond at the five. They've been doing it for years with success. You've seen last year in the Western Conference Finals, um, who was it? It was the Clippers ran Utah off the court and ran Gobert off the court by playing small ball. So the Lakers, I know they're hesitant to move Anthony Davis to the five full time, but I think that's where they're going to have the biggest success. So going after a guy like Miles Turner and even a guy like Christian Wood, who's another guy I could envision the Lakers going for, I just, I don't think that's ideal. I think, again, a Jeremy Grant, Eric Gordon and Buddy Hield were both on my list. So JC, you know, foreshadowed those ones. I really like a guy like Bogdan Bogdanovich for them, who I, I think that's my all-time He's favorite good. trade for the Lakers. A secondary ball handler who can move off the ball. He's not athletic, but he could defend a little bit just because he's a little bit bigger. So I really like that for the Lakers. I think he would be attainable. It would probably have to be a three-teamer. I envision something like Jeremy Grant going to Atlanta. So Atlanta still upgrades. Bogdanovich goes to the um, Lakers. And then Kendrick Nunn and Taylor Horton Tucker go back to the Pistons with whatever draft equity they would need. So that's something that I, that I could see definitely happening. And same thing, maybe a guy like Terrence Ross from Orlando. I don't know if, you know, him for THT straight up, I think THT might be valued a little bit more than that. But I'm saying that kind of player is who I think, because they don't need another guard. They have already two ball-dominant guys in the Brown and Westbrook. I think a wing who can complement the big three is definitely the route for them to go, and that's, you know, what they should be doing. Yeah, you bring up a good point with the the small ball because as as you know, Lakers fans have seen recently, there's a lot of success when you go with a small ball lineup with LeBron at center. And if the aim ultimately is to play to meet up with a Golden State or a Phoenix in the Western Conference Finals, other than DeAndre Ayton, who in a certain world LeBron at center can kind of guard, sort of, you know, not super effectively, but DeAndre Ayton's not Rudy Gobert, and he's not Nikola Jokic. Yeah. Um, that's the reason why I don't think Miles Turner is even one. He's not really attainable and he's got the injury, but I also do think there's a lot of smoke with Miles Turner as well as like any other center who like, I've been a fan of Mo Bamba's for years and I'm, I'm from Austin and I watched him play, co- play college ball here. Like I've, I've thought he'd be, he'd be a great fit with LeBron, but yeah, I don't think a center is going to be what they're going to ultimately go after. The Lakers want to be able to play small. So 
badly. But the problem is they are so bad at it right now. They have no presence. When LeBron is at center, it's great that he can call out coverages. And generally their defensive effort is a little better. But they just can't rebound the basketball. And I mean, it's just this this idea that all of these guys, it's sort of so tiring to sit here and have the same conversation about the team. I feel like every single time it's two steps forward and two steps back. So my personal preference is that the Lakers ride it out with this group only because, if, if only because, I think it'll allow them to have some sense of cohesion or chemistry, especially in the what seems increasingly likely event that Frank Vogel is dismissed. Because let's play it out, right? Frank Vogel's fired. It's highly unlikely they're going to bring in a coach from outside of the organization at this juncture in the season into that locker room. Which means it's David Fisdale's show, show to run, which really means probably it's Kurt Rambis's show to run. And Kurt Rambis was advocating for them to play DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard together. So I have very <laughs> little confidence in the direction of this team right now. And to bring in a new variable just strikes me as sort of a difference to make a difference. I don't believe the price is too much to pay. If you're talking about trading THT, none, and DeAndre Jordan's contract, plus a first-round pick for Jeremy Grant, especially given the expected value of that first-round pick. But at a certain point, you have to recognize when to cut your losses instead of trying to double down. This feels like one of those situations where it's time to recognize this group is it's probably not going to work like we anticipated. It may have really good nights and it may have really ugly nights. And this is what we got to live with. So it's better for me to lose $100 than lose my house trying to recover that $100. I just feel like that's where the Lakers are right now. Yeah, that's a pretty good analogy. Um, so, Stephen, let, we, let's talk about the elephant in the room that a lot of Lakers, I'm sure, want to know the most about. And that is the elephant that is the Russell Westbrook's contract because right. that's how big it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, what what can be done with him if anything can be done? Here's the thing: you always hear, "Oh, this is the worst contract in the NBA. This contract's untradeable." Yada yada yada. There's no such thing as an untradeable contract. There really isn't. I mean, I know it seems like you're pretty hamstrung right now, but years ago people were talking about this Russell Westbrook contract being untradeable, and he's been traded what three times since he was traded to Houston, he was traded to Washington, and he was traded to the Lakers, all on the same contract. John Wall, same thing, untradeable. I know he was traded for Westbrook. Chris Paul, again, traded for Westbrook, untradeable. But the point is, there's always a guy on an equally bad contract that teams are going to want out of. And that's so, a great point, too, because I don't know, Stephen, I said on my last episode, you tell me if I'm crazy, can the Lakers even call the Rockets and be like, hey, you got John Wall just sitting there. What do you think? They can. They would probably... The thing is, John Wall's been will- somewhat willing to sit out. I know he's been saying he wants to come back, but he wants a starting role. Westbrook's not going to be sitting out games, and Westbrook's not going to be coming off the bench either. So I don't even know if the Rockets will want to do that straight up just because they don't want to deal with the headache of, you know... Not saying Westbrook's a locker room problem by any means. Westbrook's one of my favorite players in the league. But he still has an ego. So the contract straight up, they signed the same exact deal. The money works perfectly. They wouldn't have to pay an extra dollar. 
So, but again, Westbrook will help them win games more than a Westbrook's or a John Wall sitting the year out will, and that's not the direction they want to go. That's fair, Jason. So, Jason. so sorry, Stephen. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say. So, I don't know if they would do like a John Wall and Christian Wood for a THT and a Westbrook if they like THT more than Christian Wood. Maybe that's a possibility. He's six years younger, but I can't imagine being a one for one swap. JC, I think Stephen makes some really good points there. Is there a team that you see that says, hey, we'll take on Russell Westbrook attached to THT? But I just feel like that, to me, that just gets so convoluted because of the size of Westbrook's deal, unless you can find that player. Is there any, I mean, I cannot imagine this, but I have to ask it, right? I feel like I'm not, not doing my job if I don't ask the question, okay? I understand who the general manager is in Philadelphia, and I understand the player. I understand the situation. Is there any world in which Ben Simmons, clutch Ben Simmons, by the way, and Russell Westbrook, and we start having that conversation closer to the deadline? I mean, I I think so only in the sense of the teams might be getting more and more desperate. The And as far as, like, you know, comparison for comparison um, – you know, what you'd get with Ben Simmons, I think you, you wouldn't have to worry about bad shots being taken in clutch time because, A, he either Ben Simmons either won't be playing in clutch time because it may be free throws or he's just simply not going to take bad shots at bad times because he doesn't because he doesn't do that. He won't take bad uh, shots but, he won't uh, take any shots. Yeah, uh, but with the positive with Ben Simmons, what you will get, if you have if you have LeBron playing center calling out defenses in the back, you'll get elite defense up front with Ben Simmons and you can have a big lineup of really great defensive players and really great defensive wings. If you, you know, throw, throw, switch out a Reeves or an Ariza or a Bradley to play alongside Ben Simmons, it'll be a good defensive unit at that point. But I don't know if that's worth the sacrifice of, of taking on a, uh, taking on a point guard who can't shoot, won't shoot. Steven, do you think there's any scenario in which that conversation becomes a little more prevalent? As a Sixers fan? <laughs> um, I really hope not. Do, do, do I envision something maybe of Russell Westbrook involving Tobias Harris and Danny Green? Maybe that's more realistic just because Daryl would want to get off that Tobias contract. And again, I don't even know if that's something the Lakers would be interested in, but at least Tobias in theory could shoot way better than Westbrook could. I know he hasn't had his greatest year, but he has had years of 40% three-point shooting on relatively high volume. Again, don't love it, but I think that would be the avenue to Philadelphia over Ben Simmons. Here's one thing I've, I've tried to think about. it. I've tried to look at it from Russell Westbrook's point of view, and he's from Los Angeles originally, and so he's sublimely happy being a Los Angeles Laker. If you th- try to think about like where else he could be happy, like he wouldn't be happy in Indiana. He wouldn't be happy in Detroit. Him being a fashion guy on the side, like could he be happy in New York and maybe Julius Randle or like – you package a Julius Randle and a Kemba Walker, who I know Kemba's had his issues, but I think in a more limited role playing alongside LeBron James, I think Kemba could really excel. Um, what do you think of a package like that? I could see it. Again, I I don't know if the Knicks are going to want to move off Julius Randle for Westbrook, because who's to say Westbrook's even a more effective player than Julius Randle is at this point? Right. Um. So I actually, well, and I say that only because like the Knicks are also pretty much out of the playoff hunt after their their really good season last year. They brought back 
you know, they brought Evan Fournier in, in addition to bringing back Derek Rose. In theory, they got better on paper, and they simply didn't. They're worse off than they were last year. So that's the only reason why I think they might cut bait. Yeah, for those of you who listened to Bode Wright's last episode when I talked about the Cam Vettis trade, I hated the Knicks offseason because the Knicks always were this team that, okay, we're going to retain our cap space, and once we show we're competent and a star will want to come here, we'll give them that cap space. So they finally show their competence and then just stay in-house, get pay the Alec Burkses and the Nolans Noels and the Derrick Roses. Now they have no cap space, and they finally show their competence. So that's a story for another day. I know we're talking Lakers. <laughs> um, what do you guys think? Call me crazy. I know the Lakers and Clippers don't trade much. What do you think of Russell Westbrook going to the Clippers? Well, you can go first, Ethan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that is certainly an interesting scenario. Because I see an avenue for it. Okay. Well, what do you see? Then I'll give you, I'll give you my full response. What do you see? I see the Marcus Morris, three years, I believe it's $64 million left, so about 18 a year. Um, not a great contract, not a terrible contract. He's, you know, you guys had a Morris brother before. You kind of know what to expect. Um, Eric Bledsoe, who only has four more guaranteed next year, so he basically get off of his contract or, you know, sign him at a cheaper price with his bird rights. And then like a Sergi Baca, who's an upgrade and an expiring deal, so you get off his contract. And again, this saves you about it. You're not going to have cap room because you're so deep into the tax, but you rid yourself of the Westbrook contract. You get a few competent, okay guys. It's not ideal, but I think I could sell myself on an avenue of it. Yeah. I mean, here's, here's the issue for me. Are, are they a better balance? Like any trade of Westbrook is probably going to make them a better balanced basketball team, right? It just sort of has to almost, but by the same token, I just don't see the Lakers doing that for a couple of reasons. One is because I think no matter what the rhyme, reason, or rationale is by trading Westbrook, they're making a statement just by doing that. And I don't know that they really want to make that statement. And I think there's a lot of pride in that organization. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they'd rather go down with the ship, if that makes sense. Part of it is I don't think they want anyone, in particular Marcus Morris, but I don't think really anyone, on that type of commitment going forward for someone who's not a superstar, because I think they have a real desire to find the right big three while LeBron is still around in order for Anthony Davis to have a guaranteed one or two in the era after LeBron, however you want to sort of take that. And three, I just think, you know, Eric Bledsoe is like Rajon Rondo at this point in his career. Like he, he doesn't really help the Lakers. I know that's a money move. So he's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Marcus Morris, okay, fine. But Serge Ibaka, like, I I already have so many big men I can't play. And as someone who lives in L.A. and and has a best friend who's a Clippers fan, I do watch a fair amount of Clippers basketball. He's maybe the third best center on the roster behind Isaiah Hartenstein. So I just feel like while while the path is there for a Westbrook trade, whether it's to the Clippers or to a number of other teams like we've discussed, I just think the realistic feasibility of it it really sort of struggles in terms of how it actually comes together. Unless, like JC said, two teams get so desperate that they just absolutely need to make a change. What if what if I counter your Sergi Baca with the Luke Kennard? Then you have, you know, that shooting off the bench, a guy you could come off just spot up threes off the bench next to LeBron. Yeah. Does that still be talking that. I could be talking I mean, about that a little easier. Yeah, I think it I think it's a better balanced team 
but I don't like the amount of long-term money that the Lakers are committing to two guys who are really role players, right? No, it's not a knock on them. They're just non-superstars, okay? And so I just I hesitate with that because it just it leaves the team sort of in a weird place. But again, like you have made a great point of, of saying, Stephen, any contract, especially those that are not maximum level contracts, are tradable in the NBA. So in some sense, it does give the Lakers potentially a little bit more flexibility too. I just don't see it happening, but maybe I'm in the minority, but maybe I can be talked into it. You know, that's the fun thing about these shows that we all kind of bounce off thoughts of one another and then we go from there. So, hey, listen, real quick before we continue, and I know, you know, we're almost at the half hour mark. So this podcast is going a little bit longer than our usual ones, but that's okay. We like that. But we have a brand new daily fantasy sports partner here at Sports Ethos, and that's Thrive Fantasy. Prop up with Thrive Fantasy on their mobile app or at thrivefantasy.com. Use the code ETHOS when you sign up to get a 100% deposit match bonus on your first deposit up to 100 bucks, plus either two or four free game tickets to play. Pick player props on the biggest names playing every night, score points when your props hit, and the players with the most points win a share of the nightly prize money. Couldn't be easier. And while you're at it, check out our Sports Ethos DFS team or podcast for advice on winners. That code is ethos over at thrivefantasy.com what are the odds and you can only respond with you know whatever your percentage is question for both of you uh we'll have steven go first jc you go after him what are the odds of a russell westbrook trade 20 percent. jc i'd probably say 25 i'm at about a three percent and i there's (laughs) obviously a lot of room for growth there I just think it is so – I think the major move this Lakers team is going to make, if they're going to make a major move, is going to be fra- firing Frank Vogel. For a lot of reasons, that is a completely separate topic. Frank Vogel has been, as I said on my last episode, he's been game to game since the minute he took the job. We're all day to day in this world. There has been no such thing in his coaching career that he has achieved that has given him some sort of Phil Jackson Zen master status. So we're all game to game, but I just don't see how dismissing the coach is going to improve the team. So you can put that eyewash in front of us all you want, but the reality is any informed basketball fan, especially any informed Lakers fan, is going to know that it it changes a whole lot of nothing. So for me, it just comes down to effort, and it really is that simple. And if the Lakers do find themselves with a couple of supporting pieces, not named Austin Reeves, by the way, who are playing above expectations that they can move and they can make a small tweak here and there. I think that's a lot more likely. But again, guys like Kent Bazemore, DeAndre Jordan, I wish the Lakers would just cut their losses and I wish they give themselves a little more roster flexibility. If we see the Lakers doing that without bringing in new entrants into the fold, then and only then, well, I think that the probability of a Russell Westbrook trade could be going up. Yeah, I mean, I, I can buy the Frank Vogel thing because I think it, it'd be one of those rare instances where it's not necessarily an indictment on his ability as a coach, but I think as evidenced by the last loss against the Pacers and, and the, the effort we've seen all season, it's not so much about his ability to coach. It's more about his ability to either make the players want to play for him or just kind of lead the players. He's He's – He's not making them buy in, and that's what you need a coach to do. Is you need a coach to be able to get the players to buy in, and they're not buying into him for whatever reason. Stephen, before we sort of wrap this up, I have my, the question I want to ask you, and I've been meaning to ask you throughout this whole episode, is as a non-Lakers fan, what is your take on this team? Trades and all that stuff aside, just when you watch them play, what's your read? 
my read is that Buddy Heald would have helped them a hell of a lot more than Russell Westbrook would. <laughs> so funny. Um, so yeah. funny. Yeah. I mean, Buddy Heald, I know he's not a ward beater by any means. I know his contract might be a negative at this point, but he does everything that a LeBron teammate does. He moves off ball well. He's a 44% three-point shooter. He can pass a little bit, not ideally. He's not exactly a secondary ball handler, but he has some passing chops. So that's why, you know, I said a guy like Bogdan Bogdanovich would fit in that mold well. I think the Lakers would have been better off with the team they had last year than this reiteration of the team with Russell Westbrook. So I I know you guys were just talking about, you know, pointing fingers at Frank Vogel. I did my coach rankings with um Trey Hill from the Sports Ethos Bulls podcast a few, uh, like, last month. And we both had Frank Vogel, like, seventh or eighth best coach in the NBA. Like, we had him, like, in pretty high prestige. So... I think that'd be a big mistake just because it's an ill-fitting roster. So, you yeah. know, I really think if they let Vogel go, that not only is this kind of a year wasted, assuming they have another first-round loss, but you lose a good coach in the process, and that's important. Yeah. I have a question that's more of an off-season question, but I, I kind of tweeted this semi as a joke the other day, and now I'm curious about your thoughts on it. So I'm dreading a scenario this off-season where – Malik Monk has played played pretty well, and he's going to have earned himself a lot of money because he's on a minimum contract. I'm dreading a scenario in the offseason where the Lakers can't afford him because they still have to keep paying Russell Westbrook. Is that, is that's that a feasible a, scenario? That's a very real scenario because oh, Monk God. only because Monk only signed a one year deal. The Lakers don't have his bird rights. Again, that's that's part of the reason why I named my podcast a bird rights podcast because bird rights are important. They allow right. you to go over the salary cap to re-sign your guys. But because <laughs> because he only signed the one-year deal, they don't have his bird rates. So they'd have to dip into the taxpayer mid-level, which are currently paying Kendrick none. Assume they trade him, then that would open back up. But <laughs> that's wow. they'd have to have like a handshake deal. Okay, we'll give you the taxpayer mid-level next year, which is like, I think with the salary cap spike, it's going up to like six mil. And then say, okay, we'll pay you next year. And that's a gamble he would want to take. It's a gamble if he wants to be in LA that he would, you know, have to do. What a magical magical time to be alive, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. That's the most important thing, that we're all alive, we're well, we're healthy, and we're still doing this thing. What a show, Steven. What a guest you were. We'll have to do this again. I loved every second of it. I thought you were super informative. Uh, I hope our listeners did too. And anytime, man, you're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Yeah, man. Yeah, you're you're proof that it's uh you can't just go simply go on ESPN's NBA trade machine and plug in players. You got to know about the numbers and the picks, and you got to know about everything. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. And um, for those listening, I am running my mock trade deadline right now with 14 other owners. Each of us are representing two teams. Look out for that article. It should be coming out around the first week of February, right before the trade deadline. I will be podcasting about it as well. So. It's a busy time of year for me, so thank you guys for um, having me on and letting me promote that. Steven, that's cool. the way to pimp yourself, baby. Well done. Where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at BirdRightsPod. JC, tell them when they can hit you. At JCDeLeon1. And find me at Ethan underscore Noroff. Follow the whole sports ethos team because that's all we do is big things. But until next time, we out.